And uh, the, the subtitle of that is Why We Know the Bible is Truth. Why We Know the Bible is Truth. Uh, John 8, 32 says, what does it say? What did the Lord Jesus say? Quote it with me. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So the implication there is, of course, the truth that you know. And we say, and we're going to say it every time in this one, it's not what you've heard that sets you free. It's what you know that sets you free. Now, I, I want to preface this. I have some comments about this the Lord gave me, and I'm going I'm to put them out there because I want to. I want us to know. A lot of people say, we sang it tonight. Anybody here want a revival? Woo-hoo, we all want it. Yeah. Say amen. We do. But, you know, we're waiting on a revival, so to speak. Well, it, that would be in spite of how the church is, not because of the church. It's backwards. We should be having revival because of the church, not in spite of it. And the church is weak right now, basically, across the American and everything, we've just capitulated. Uh, I have a friend in Houston, she told me that her church is not opening until July, yeah, July. Wow. Yeah, and she's, she said she was so hungry to go to church that she had a, she's Baptist to the core, I'm talking about the whole core, and she, she said, I'm going to my friend's church, she's a, she is a Pentecostal preacher, and uh, I don't know about women preachers, but I'm, I'm going to church. Well, that's good. That's how, that's how we're supposed to be. But uh, Jesus saith in Thomas in John 20, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now, this is, let's see, is this number, is this number four, I believe? And I'm not near through. It's gonna, I'm going to pound the road with this. And I want to tell you all why. Anytime you want to be a master at something, you want to have mastery, you take your craft, say, say uh, educator. Let's just take that. We have some educators here. And then you get your bachelor's degree because you know some things. I have a bachelor's degree. Yeah, I know some things. <laughs> And then, you know, you go, well, that's enough. That's four or five years, depending on who you were. But, but the same subject comes in for the master's degree. And you just pound that same subject, that same craft, that same area of expertise, and you pound it with the master's. And you go, well, we know more than anybody in the universe. And then somebody, somebody in the world knows more than you do, and, and they can teach a doctorate. And so you go in there and get the doctorate degree. Yay. But the point is, is they don't let just anybody teach. They don't let me teach. They don't let Deborah teach. Lynn doesn't get to teach. They wait for a master's degree or a doctorate to teach because they know some things, theoretically. I mean, we're going to say they do here. Well, here in the church, to con and that's the way we learn, is repetition with the same subject over and over, pounding it in. And I can tell you, there's some subjects you, you go, well, what else is there to know? There might not be not much more to know, but we want someone that can answer any question. We want a professor that can not teach it necessarily, but if they ask them a hard question, they go, well, yeah, we know that. It's trivial, it's tried, it's, it's on the outskirts, but I know that because I've studied it, and we don't have time to teach it here, but this is what it means. But in the, and so that's how, that's how we get to be experts or masters and the word talks about to be masters. 
to know the truth. And so we, uh, we take the Bible. We're Christians and we say, oh, Lord Jesus, I want a revival. Send a revival. That's, that's wrong theology. He, he's already sent Jesus and Holy Ghost, so he sent revival. Could I have a bigger and a louder amen? amen. He sent revival. He sent the Holy Ghost. So what's the, what's the holdup? Well, it's, it's up to me to believe it. It's up to me to receive it. And so uh, we're on our first, fourth time tonight, and I'm only on the three, the third entity. Third? Ah, second. I'm on the second tenant. We're, we're kind of in the bachelor's program right now, but we're going for the master's, and we just, by the time we're out, we're all going to be doctors in this. And the reason that we want to get you where you are just war to the ground, some of you might give up. Online, I'm saying, you might give up and say, yeah, I get it. But I'm going to say to you, you didn't get it. Because until you are just wore out with it, and it's coming from every direction, and you are just like, I get it, move on. Can we hear something else? Well, move on means, can we graze in another field? Can we... Uh, walk around here and, and get a little more this. And family, y'all and I, we are church people. So we go to church all the time. And we, I, I, I myself, little old me, I do a hundred and something messages a year. And I've been whopping on this thing 40 years. So just figure how, how much I, I've been through. It's not what you have heard. It's what you know. And so we're going to pound it till you just go... <sighs> Until you go, okay, calf rope. Well, that's only number four. We got, we got six more to do. And you go, I get it. Nope, you don't get it. Until it just is coming out your ears. And you are so sure that you'd wrestle the alligator. You'd just take on anything because you've been so pounded with the truth that you know it. You know it and you are free by knowing it. We got to be able to step in. Like uh, Ed Elliott down, he's, uh, he went to Africa. He's one of my favorite missionaries, although I've never met him. And he set me free one time on a tape. He talks about uh, pastors, which I was one of them, that are so distracted in their cool air-conditioned church with the lights all on and comfortable chairs. Everybody's chewing, chewing gum or playing their video game or whatever they're doing. And that somebody gets up to go to the bathroom or little Lulu you know, she didn't go to the nursery. She's in there, and all of a sudden, she cranks up, and mama's trying to get out down the aisle, and somebody's going to the bathroom over here, and some kid's got a little slingshot and all that, and how the pastors in America just lose it, just like they're just, they can't go on. And Ed talked about down in Africa how they, I've told you this, how witch doctors come up to the front of the stage and spit blood and cut off chickens' heads and throw the heads at them and, and shake the chicken foot. That's a fetish or whatever. And, I mean, just demonic, just totally demonic and loosing all the power of hell on, on you. Said, and so you, someone closed the door loud and you lost your place. And I, it set me free. Nothing bothers me anymore. Now, you, you can sleep here. You can chew gum here. And I might notice it, but I'm paying no attention. Well, that comes from just selling out. And when we sell out to the word is truth, the Bible is truth, then we can meet any witch doctor across the stage or in your backyard across the fence or any situation where someone who is a bona fide atheist 
They say, I not only don't believe, I, I'm, I'm trying to propagate unbelief. And uh, they're after it. And you run into them, and they think you're dead meat. And after they open their argument, even Mormons can do this, Jehovah Witnesses can do this, where they just disarm you in the first 10 minutes. And they say things and craft things, and you don't even know what they're talking about. We can't let that happen, not one more day. We have to be masters of what, who we are. Well, who am I? Well, I'm not a preacher. I'm a Christian. And you're not just a Christian. You're a, you are a fire from heaven on the earth. What you do to expedite a living or to raise up or whatever, it's just a harvest field that you and I go into. Uh, we're not there to turn our labor into money, although we do. We're there to be in the harvest and change lives. And you go, well, we're pretty hot. Nah, we're not hot compared to what heaven wants us to be. We're just hotter than anything we've seen. And there's, there's uh, uh, churches in Africa and other places where you can't be a pastor till you've raised somebody from the dead. Well, that's a little different bar than here. Anybody that can borrow a Bible can preach in most churches in America. Borrow a Bible. And so we have low, we have amazing unbelievism. Now, my point here is not to condemn anybody, but God is so willing to, so, so willing to set a steel rod in our back that he says, I will, I will do exceeding abundantly above what you ask, think, imagine, or meditate. You think you know about healing? You don't know anything because the devil hadn't showed up to really withstand you. And your doctrine, you're exhausted. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know why. Well, we need to know why. I certainly don't always know why, but I, I'm, I am quickened to pursue mastery in healing, in finances. Shouldn't have a, ever have a financial thing come uh, against you or me that we go, I know exactly what this is. I know exactly where this came from. And I know exactly how to handle it because I've got mastery here. You might say nobody's perfect as he is. So are we in this world. So whatever you want to term not perfect, be sure and line that scripture up and make sure that inside, you know, inside we are perfect. This part in here is perfect. Flawed getting out, flawed getting in, but change that. Change the flaw, the impediment, the limitation, the screen, the filter that causes stuff to not go in. And it's always this hunger. You can go as fast as you want in the kingdom. Y'all say amen. You can go as fast as you want. Well, I had a hard life. I am so... I'm not weary. I've just heard that so-and-so had a hard life, and that's the reason they're having a hard time. And I tell you, Jesus is the great equalizer, and faith in the Word of God gives you no excuse. We have no excuse how we were raised, who we what we had to fight against, because we all have a story. Amen? So I want to just talk about the 10 reasons, just one or two or three of them tonight, the 10 reasons why anyone can believe. And we're looking at this from a different facet. Brother Hagin always said it's one mountain, but depending on which side of it you go up, you see it completely different, but it's just one mountain. Well, we're going to look at it from 10 different views, and that's if I don't come into some more. And if I do, we're just going to go another week or six and just keep on going. And you go, when are you going to preach something interesting? There is nothing more important in your life right now that you don't believe the Bible is true. That we can, you, everybody in here believes that heaven's true. 
I'm going to heaven, Pastor. I no doubt when I leave this world, no doubt. Well, you don't even know that for sure. You're not even, most Christians, and I say you, but I mean most Christians, you, you can blow them off of that just with hardly a firecracker, a black cat. You can blow them off. I'm going to heaven when I die. You just, just put a little condemnation on them. Just put a little, you know, what did you do? And, and they, they're, they're wobbling and carrying on, and they don't know, and they hope they are, and you, you just come into this thing. We got to know some stuff. Because nothing else that you know matters if you don't know the Bible. It's absolutely, unequivocally, and irreversibly true. And that when you read it and you see that in English, on your, in your English head, that you go, that is the truth. I can reject it. I can, uh, I can ignore it. But it's true, and if I will embrace it and get it into my knower where I know it's true, as true as, as the Word says, then what it says will be a factor in my life. Do you all see where I'm coming from? Yes. Ephesians 4 says that I, in the church, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We are not here to have a good sermon. I hope you feel good after every one of them, but if you don't, just straighten it up. Just let it work in you like medicine and, uh, and say, I got to take this. When you sign up to be a Marine or whatever, they send you to Fort Lejeune, Camp Lejeune, whatever it is in, in the Carolinas, and they beat everything out of you that you think you are in order to reform you into who you are going to be. And we are Christians. And we came out of the world. Every one of us came out of the world, straight out of the world. Nobody here came from heaven and said, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a redo course. I'm, I'm taking a refresher. We all came out of the world. And we have one thing to do, and that's to become like him. Amen. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. The first uh, uh, reason that we can believe is because of prophecies in the Bible. There is absolute prophetic accuracy in the Bible. The Bible's the only book that prophesies, in other words, tells the future. And we have found that based on historical prophecy, it's true. We have found and proved that on messianic prophecies, where the Bible says Jesus is coming hundreds, hundreds of years before he came, and prophesied exactly how he'd come, when it, where he'd be born, by whom he would be born, and his life, and, then we, and, and uh, how he would die, how he would be buried. Amazing things. And then lastly, we looked at prophecies about Jesus' own words, where he said, this is how it's going to happen. Uh, Tear this temple down, and in three days I will rebuild it. Where he was talking about his own body. Three days. He was in the, he was in the earth. So it's amazing. And you could stop right there. And, and all of us would say, I believe. That was enough for me. But we're just going to bury it. We're just going to pound it in. We're just going to go and you just say, I can't wait till he gets through with that. Just keep coming and I'll have you out in the streets. And you'll be doing the word because you believe the word is true. So we're going to talk tonight about the historical and archaeological accuracy of the Bible. Is that all right? I'm glad you all like that. In Luke chapter 19... I had to say all that, and now I'm, I'm, I'm down to just an hour. That's, that's amazing. Chapter 19, verse 40. Here we are. The word says, uh, He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. 
So there's a double meaning here. He's talking literally about the stones crying out, but uh, uh, he's talking about the earth. Right now, do y'all believe the earth is groaning for his return? The word says it is, that it's groaning. Uh, it's in travail. It says uh, it pangs, birth pangs. It's, uh, it's wanting to see deliverance. Want to get that baby out, get that baby in the earth, because it's, it's not helping anybody where it is right now. And so we've got to get that baby delivered. Well, the earth is saying, please deliver me. i got to get this out. And so this, this talks about... Uh, uh, the literal thing there, but it's talking about the earth. And he's saying, just pay attention to that. Uh, there's none of the texts in the, in the world, and there's lots of texts, that are as accurate historically as the Bible. And some of it is from the text itself that says this is going to happen. And, they, and, and uh, historians say, That's not, that didn't happen. And then they find it. I'm going to read you a story about that. They find it and said, well, doggone, it was true. And then archaeologically, things are still being uncovered. Y'all know that everything in, under the earth, is, uh, under the sand, is not done. Um, numbers, numbers 33, don't go there, but it lists 42 sites used in Exodus about the children of Israel coming from Egypt. And it, it, uh, it's detailed. You know, we, it's not like there was a Rand McNally map from that day to now. It's, all those things have, are down, under the ground, under the sand. So they were written thousands of years ago, these cities and their people, and uh, a, a generally ignorant people in the sense of didn't know much. You know, they didn't have a written text. If anything, they were very innovative making a written text, but they come to find out that they are contextually accurate to the detail. It wasn't like, well, some Plato or Socrates wrote this and he was learned. These are just regular folks. And so uh, the in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found sealed pots dating to 100 BC. That's the earliest anybody. There's nothing before that. And they had, and uh, every part of the Old Testament book was in that, except the book of Esther, and the entire book of Isaiah was in those Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, isn't that amazing that, that we have proof where they were buried? It wasn't just a man that, that did that. Uh, do y'all remember James D. Kennedy? He was a Presbyterian scholar and a pastor. Good, good man. In 1980, I looked him up, and he wrote this, so I'm just going to read it. We're talking about historical and archaeological uh, accuracy. Another source of delight for the critics is that the Bible mentions hundreds of kings peoples, and even whole nations that were not mentioned by historians or antiquities, nor in all of secular literature. If the historians never mentioned the nation, then these historians assume that the nation did not exist. Makes sense. If you can't find evidence, must not be. One of these supposedly mystical nations that the Jews fought with in the Old Testament was the Hittites. And I've talked to you all about the Hittites. I'm fascinated by this. They are mentioned in eight different chapters in the Old Testament. One leading archaeologist said that he did not believe there was ever a people of the Hittites. But when Dr. Hugo Winkler went to the area to dig where the Hittites were supposed to be, to live, he discovered over 40 of their cities. 
including their capital, along with a great number of monuments describing their activity. They, you know, if they had a dance on Saturday night and they did the do-si-do and the jiggy-jig, they would carve it in some stone and, and we can read about the jiggy-jig, all right? Commenting on a treaty between the Hittites and the Egyptians that the Bible describes, an English critic says that there is no more chance of a treaty that existed between the Egyptians and the Hittites than the English and the Choctaws. Yet, spelled out on the palace wall in the uncovered cities of eight of Egypt, excuse me, was found the whole treaty between Egypt and the Hittites. Numerous Babylonian inscriptions now prove that the Hittites were not just there, but they were a great superpower located between Egypt and Babylon, so large that all of Egypt and Babylon, Babylonia, excuse me, were considered to be tribes of the Hittites at one time. What a mystery uncovered. And the point's not the Hittites. The point is, is the Bible knows things that historians don't know. And when you just give it enough time and believe the Bible, the historians and the archaeologists will uh, find it. And the Bible further tells it that Pharaoh oppressed the Israelites and caused them to build for him the store cities of Pith and Ramesses. We remember the story in the Old Testament how they first built with mortar and straw. Then they had to gather their own straw and finally had to build the bricks without any straw at all. That's Exodus chapter 5. When Sir Flinders Petrie later discovered the site of Pith and Ramesses, he notices several things about them. They were built with mortar, something nowhere found in Egypt. Moreover, the lower layers were built with brick in which there was stubble instead of straw. And second and upper levels were made without straw. The Bible proved accurate again. That's the st there, then there's the story about Jericho. And people said, how could the walls of Jericho fall down? How could this army of Israel march around the city seven times in one day? Well, when they dug up the city of Jericho, and it, it was hidden for a long time. They, they couldn't find it, didn't know where it was. Guess what they found? First of all, they found a very small, compact city. And a person or an army could easily march around it seven times in a single day. But of even further significance, they found that the walls of Jericho had all fallen outward. That's not what was expected. It's expected that, the, that, that they had fallen inward because a conquering army would batter the walls inward. You know, we've all seen the gladiator and all those movies. We all know all about that stuff. What they found at Jericho is that all the walls were knocked outward. That is a very unique thing in an ancient city. The Bible says that God called the walls to fall down when the children of Israel blew on their trumpets and they didn't have to knock them inward. God's power knocked them outward. It is possible that he did that just to demonstrate that this was the most different thing that happened in this ancient city. Yay. Who cares about Jericho? Who cares where the walls were? Well, we care because it's contrary to what all men thought and believed and published, and yet there's evidence now that it's different. I like this one. I looked him up, uh, found him. I had a hard time with him because he's got the same name as the guy that invented or discovered the uh, royal gases, xenon and uh, neon and all that, but that wasn't him. This is uh, uh, Sir William Ramsey, which was a dedicated archeologist and he was the son of an atheist and himself an atheist who was so determined to find the truth. 
He believed their, their history was not recorded right. He was wealthy, had a Ph.D. from Oxford. He gave his whole life, life in the late, late 1800s over to archaeology and set himself out to disprove the Bible. He set out for the Holy Land and decided he was going to disprove the book of Acts. He found the faults he was looking for in the book of Luke. Ramsey found contemporary records and archaeological finds to conclude Luke had made a number of errors. Luke's geography was wrong. There never was a census in Bethlehem. He incorrectly identified the governor of Celia and improperly titled many Roman dignitaries. However, as Ramsey continued his search, all of his doubts were silenced. In fact, his probing, probing study proved that the Bible was valid after all. He found an inscription proving the geography correct for the time and a parchment dating to 104 AD was earth unearthed that confirmed there had been a census in Bethlehem after all. The governor in question was proven to be governor not once, but twice, verifying exactly what Luke had written. And Luke's titles for the dignitaries were precisely correct. And Ramsey, is no longer, Ramsey was no longer a skeptic. After 25 or more years, he released book after book, obviously incredibly impressed by the accuracy of Luke and his writings. He finally declared that Luke was exact down to the most minute of details. He realized that those who had written the word of God were indeed eyewitnesses to the events they described. Even though he had a tremendous, now this is, this is cool, even though he had a tremendous bias in his attempts to disprove the Bible. Y'all know anybody with tremendous bias? Don't confuse me with facts. Uh, uh, Sir Ramsey uncovered hundreds of things which confirmed the historical, historical accuracy of the book of Acts. Finally, in one of his books, he shocked the whole world, critical, a critical world, by declaring that he had become a Christian. The world's greatest authority of the book of Acts and travels of the Apostle Paul was converted by an archaeological digging, as has been numerous other archaeologists over the century. Yea, God. It's truth. And this guy was a hound dog. He wasn't a casual observer. Many ancient texts, but none as detailed or as accurate as the Bible historically, from culture to wars to motives, have uh, been recorded. The spades of archaeologists have in uncovered innumerable facts that confirm the scriptures. Over 25,000 sites have been discovered that do pertain directly to the Bible. Records of tens of thousands of individual events have also been found. The Bible is provable to be historically and, his and archaeologically true and accurate. So this would minister to some people, whereas prophecy would not. So the Lord just comes at it from every angle anybody could come at it. Many ancient texts, uh, excuse me, author Robert Wilson said there are over 40 kings mentioned in the Old Testament between 2000 B.C., that's way back, and 400 B.C. They are all spelled correctly in the Bible, all in the right area, and all in the right time. No stronger evidence, this is what he says, exists for the substantial accuracy of the Old Testament record could possibly be imagined than this collection of kings. He said, every one of them's right. 
the mathematical probability of every single king being exactly portrayed in this record is equal to 10 to the 23rd power. Now, I'm just reading it. You know, you, you can say, I don't believe that. He just lifted it. He just wrote it. Many ancient texts, um, excuse me, archaeologist Nelson Glock, he said, in all my archaeological investigation, I have never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement in the Bible. So if that's what rings your bell and you go, well, that, that did it for me. I'm a believer. But there's more. We got time. We got just a little time. I'll take all of it. This is number four. Bible numerics. Say numerics. 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 What in thunder is that? Ivan Panin, Panin, who is generally credited with the discovery of Bible numerics, was born in Russia, 1855. He was exiled from Russia, moved to the U.S., and graduated from Harvard University. You know, that's a nice school up on the East Coast. He was converted to Christianity, and in 1890 discovered the phenomenal mathematical design underlying the Greek text in the New Testament. Subsequently, he found the Hebrew text of the Old Testament had similar structure. In summary, he put together 43,000 sheets of information proving mathematical patterns in the writings in the original Hebrew and Greek of the Bible. He presented this to the Nobel Research Foundation of the U.S. And with regard to the statements, he made that the Bible could not possibly been written except by the inspiration, inspiration of God himself. And their verdict is as follows. The Nobel people said this, as far as our investigation has proceeded, we find the evidence overwhelming in favor of such a statement. Well, what is, what is numerics? That just explained him. He found that uh, uh, he was a linguistics and mathematical expert. According to his findings, and y'all know this, Hebrew and Greek are the only languages in the world to use their alphabetic characters for numbers. If you talk to anybody that's got this, they'll tell you, well, eight's the number for completion, and three is the number, I don't even know them, but they, they'll tell you that. In the English culture, mathematics symbols are used to represent numbers. They are technically called Arabic numerals. Sometimes Roman numerals are used, but the Greek and Hebrew cultures did not employ numbers, but used their alphabetic characters to also represent numbers. Every alphabetic character of he, Hebrew and Greek are also assigned a numeric value. Writing these characters served as a double purpose, both in language and in mathematics. The importance of this is that one can take any word in Hebrew or Greek. By definition, it has a linguistic. Excuse me, I'm, where did I miss my line here? Any word would have a total value by adding up the value of each of the letters in the word. So if every letter has a numeric value, then every word, if you add up the numbers or the total, the sum of the letters turned to numerics, it has a total, it has a sum. Well, he found that there was amazing, consistent numeric patterns all through the scriptures. But he found that no matter which way you work combinations of these numeric patterns, that even the patterns had patterns. For example, you could take the numeric value of a word by sim simply substituting the number that the 
Hebrews and Greeks used for the alphabetic uh, character. One could also assign what he called a place value. For example, if you considered the alphabetic character of the Greek word and assigned the first one the value of one, the second two, and so on, all the way to the last Greek character having a value of 24. So I guess there's 24 Greek letters instead of just 1 through 10 and repeating them like in English, 10, 11, 12, and then 21, 22. It, so if you took these values and inserted them in the place of all those letters, the same amazing patterns existed. If one took both of the sets of values, uh, the numeric values and the place values, and combined them together, they would also have numeric values. I know this is kind of wading through the stuff, but I'm, I'm just wanting to get through it until I can get to the examples. As a mathematician, you can calculate what is the accidental probability that would happen because there are a fixed number of alphabetical characters. This is found to be one chance in hundreds of millions to hundreds of billions. Now, let's take Genesis 1-1, just for an example. We've got just a minute here. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. It's in Hebrew, obviously. It's seven words with 28 letters, which is divisible by seven. It's got three nouns, God, heaven, earth. Taking the letters of these nouns by numerical value, you come up with 777, also divisible by seven. One Hebrew verb valued at 203, 203, is also divisible by seven. The first three words contain the subject, 14 letters, and is divisible by seven. Uh, the object of the sentence contains four words, and in those there's 14 letters, divisible by seven. The value for the first, middle, and last letters in the sentence is 133, divisible by seven. The numeric value of the first and last letters of all the words is 1393, which is divisible by seven. And it goes on and on. He says, Panin says, that the probability of this happening on its own is one, is one in 33 trillion. Well, a trillion's a whole bunch of stuff. So he's saying it's impossible to be different. Now, uh, one more example, and I'll quit. Matthew 1, it's the list of the genealogies. That in Leviticus is kind of the boringest chapters in the Bible in the sense of just what's happening and let's get to the fun part. But uh, the list of genealogies is 49 words, which is seven times seven. It's 28 words, 28 words begin with a vowel, which is also divisible by seven. Oh, what? Every name attributed to Jesus is divisible by eight. Every name attributed to Jesus is divisible by eight. Jesus Christ, uh, excuse me, the names of the only three women appearing in the passage, the Greek value of their names equals 14, divisible by seven. Uh, he says it's, this is near as probable, it's just one in 900 billion that this could be uh, a part of that. Now, there's more, and you can look it up, and that's what I want you to do. If, 
everybody's going to have a thing that rings their bell, that, that strikes them, that moves them. Uh, the prophecies move, move me. This is very interesting. The archaeological part moves me. But this numerics, I'm highly impressed. But I'm not going to make my case based on numerics. Amen. But it sets a case from every angle. Every argument that can be set against the word being God's word has an answer. It has an answer. Well, what about this? There's an answer and it's perfect. It's complete. It summarizes the whole argument of heaven. The point is, is not for us to be, uh, um, um, what would you call it in your head? Uh, to be reasoning, to, to figure out God through the rationale. But y'all know that that's how a lot of people operate. In other words, the unconverted, the non-born again, they base their argument on inconsistencies, on fallacies, on mistakes, on uh, uh, wrong attributions. And that's how they say, we will not believe. We will not receive this gospel, this word. But there's a rational side for those people, the, the atheists, the agnostics. There's a rational side that's not spiritual. Well, if you'll ask Jesus into your heart, you know, you'll get born again. You can't go there with these people. You can't just say, you know, uh, God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You can't use that. But what you, have to, what you can use for these people and for us, in a sense, because we all have this psyche, we all have this uh, rationale, this reasoning power, that demands to be satisfied. It demands. We believe down here and we don't contend. But sometimes this up here does contend. Why don't we shut that mouth and just satisfy it with everything that it could come up with to nullify or to uh, minimize what we believe down here? You go, well, are you through? We're convinced. Nah, I got six more. <laughs> Because the word's complete. And I, just because I have six more doesn't mean that's all of them. But we're, we're going to pound them through. You go, well, I, when you get through, call me. You know, I, I don't want this or not. Well, you're missing knowing the truth and the truth setting you free. We don't want to be bound. We don't want to be tied up. We don't want to be living a, a uh, mediocre life. Missing the best things. I, I get weary or upset, I guess it would be, that people live beneath their inheritance, beneath who they are, just because you cannot convince them or you cannot present to them things that they will embrace. And I told y'all, people that are ignorant, not stupid, but ignorant, in this age and time, are, and remain ignorant, are simply stubborn. They're just stubborn. You go, well, he just never knew. No, in, in the USA, in this world, but in this USA, no, nobody just didn't hear it. Nobody just didn't, because it's everywhere. And then even if you lived on an island and never saw anybody, there's Romans chapter 1 where God said, if you just look up at the skies and look around and acknowledge a God or a creator or a, a, a designer, as it were, he said, I will reveal, I revealed myself that way, but I will reveal myself. Now, I don't know how he does that because Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. But if someone says, God, I don't even know what you look like or whatever, 
But I believe, I, I believe something about this design, this, 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 this thing that's so complete. I believe the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, begins to reveal that and brings you to a saving knowledge that will be acceptable to heaven. But you got to look. You got you to wonder, what am I? How did I get here? Well, we're, we're all past that. Are y'all past that? <laughs> Our deal is, what took me so long to get here? Because it was all over. We, we were talking uh, about truths that, that were so obvious and so evident, and yet we just didn't see them. Truths that you and I believe now that were always in the Bible, but they were hidden for us, and we just didn't search them. Here's what America's done, if not everyone. We, and we would be pretty disgusted if we were raising a kid that was 12 years old that had never developed a desire to feed himself. You know, it's supper time, and 12-year-old kid clumps in there with his size 13 tennis shoes, and he sits down, and mama sits down next to him and dips in and puts the spoon in his mouth. That's pretty gross. But that's exactly what most Christians look like. They come to church on Sunday real proud of themselves, and they open their mouth and wait for the pastor to feed them. What is the end of our responsibility? That we, get, we feed ourselves. This, this pulpit, this room, this, this uh, environment certainly is uh, a help. You'll, you'll get lots of stuff sorted out. I heard some things this week. I was with someone and, uh, that's knowledgeable in the Word, and he said some things. It was just like, why didn't I know that? Why did I not know that? It is so obvious, but it just was. You all know what I'm talking about? Do you ever hear things even in the church you go, well, of course. Well, we got we to gotta quit saying, I'm going to church to get fed. And the pastor is the feeder. The shepherd is the feeder. But it just Ephesians 4, equip the saints to feed themselves. And that's all we just, E.L. Cole says, you can't lead a horse to water, but you can salt his oats. And so... We're salting all the time, aren't we? And you're, you're with your neighbors and your family and your friends saying, you can't just go out there and say, you are a dummy for going to hell. You ought to, you ought to receive Jesus. That might not work. But you can salt their oats. You can just tell somebody in front of them, wow, I saw something at church today or I saw something in my backyard today. Or I, you know. And all of a sudden, they're hungry. They're, they, they rebuff it and say, I don't believe in that mess. The hook is in. And that's what we're supposed to do is set the hook. They may move off and you never heard about them, but we put a seed in them and somebody else watered that seed and God gave the increase. Amen. So just hang in there with me. Don't get bored. Well, you may get bored. And that might even be okay to get bored. But hang in there with me because you're going to hear things that you go, maybe I didn't really believe. Maybe I didn't really know the truth. I thought I did, but then now I believe. Amen. Thank you for joining us on broadcast. We so appreciate you tuning in to River Church here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We will be back on Sunday. Uh, we get to broadcast about 10, 30, or 40. Be patient. We will be up. Amen. God bless you.